We are going to the book of Revelation. So uh, don't worry, we're not going to get into uh, magical numbers and beasts and dragons and all that, although that's there. We're actually going to stick in the first part, which is Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Chapter 2, verse 1 for this morning. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, oh, I've had a great time this morning. God, I just feel in your presence, sensing you. We ask now that, Lord, as, we, we, as we've gathered to worship now, as we gather to the word of God, that you would open up our hearts and open up our minds to receive afresh the teaching and the example that you would have us. In Jesus' name, amen. My wife and I have been married 10 years. <laughs> that was pretty weak, but, <laughs> but I think I know why, <laughs> because many of you are going, 10 years, it's that, you know, <laughs> um, 10 years, 10, 11, how about this, 11 years in April, is that a little better? <laughs> now, how many of you could beat that? <laughs> Got a few. You know, most of the church can beat that. Well, what do you know? All right, Don. Don Shilly. Oh, Don, you are the perfect one to ask this. So I, I just want us to connect here for a moment. I would like you to tell me, what is the key to... How long have you been married? 56 years. 56 years. That's wonderful. Yeah, Diane has been... <laughs> Okay, Don, very simple question. What is the key to making it 56 years? Respecting her. Loving her. How, how, how do you, after 56 years, how do you keep the love fresh? Oh. <laughs> you guys want more, don't you? <laughs> more, more. <laughs> See why I told you he's the perfect one? <laughs> Who else has been married longer than 10 years? Hands up again. Heather. What do you think, Heather? What's, what's Steve, what's the, what's the key? What, how, how do you... He does... <laughs> immediate, immediate obedience. <laughs> Love and respect. They did nail it. Uh, now, this isn't actually a sermon on marriage, but, uh, but it really does set it up well. Um, when Tanya and I were dating, I, I used to do some of the stupidest things. And, and I'd rehearse them in the mirror, uh, you know, <laughs> to make sure that they were even more stupid than they actually were in my mind. And, you know, uh, you know just kind of... You know, those, those little Hollywood cheesy lines, you know, your, your hair is like a sunset. And your eyes like a mountain lake. And, and, and she would just kind of pause and look at me. Are you on drugs? Or, or most often than that, she would say, did you get that from a movie? Every now and then, not knowing what movie she's seen, I would do one from a movie. She's like, I saw that movie. What was it? Oh. 
<laughs> it's funny though, you know, that, that, that puppy love of dating, that, that, you know, those first few times, you know, it, it, it's, it's an exciting, anticipating, energized, not, not, uh, not that you, you lose that per se, but you, it's never as new as it is when it's brand new, right? I mean, it, it, it's just, you know, that's just the way it works. And, um, you know, so for, for you know, for, for us, um, you know, we never felt stuck with each other. You know, it's not like God said, well, you're stuck with him, you know, right? <laughs> you don't think that, do you? <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> you know, but I mean, you know, it, it, it's, it's just one of those things where even at that stage of, of a relationship... Sometimes a, a look and a smile is, is all you need. And, uh, of course, like I said in the last service, after California taxes, that's about all we're going to have. So uh, the look and the smile, we got it. <laughs> Nobody can take that away. The church in the New Testament is often referred to as the bride. Uh, the bride of Christ. If you go to Second Corinthians, you don't have to do this, I've done it for you. Uh, if you go to 2 Corinthians 11.2, Paul refers to the church as, as, as a bride waiting for its groom. In the Gospels, you have the parable of the brides waiting for Jesus. In the book of Revelation, you have the, what, the marriage supper of the lamb, the bride. You know. So there is a lot of analogy of God's, God's love for his people as like a marriage. And there's a huge, re- huge reason why. And it all has to do with the word for love that is used in the New Testament that would have been very, very rare in that day. For example, you, many of you know what the word agape means, right? Unconditional love. Uh, you've got agape books. We've got agape mortgage. We've got agape everything, you know? And so we, we, this word, we have agape a lot. But in the ancient Greek setting, they never would have said it. Agape was kind of that word that was reserved for a love that you couldn't have. It was almost, if you look at like Homer's writings and some of the ancient uh, Greek writings, they would use agape love sarcastically. Oh, well, you just want me to agape you, don't you? You know what I'm saying? You just, you're just looking for agape love. Come on, how about give me some love? The, the word agape was actually used, it was used sarcastically because there, there was no concept of how it could actually be achieved. See? Confirmation right there. <laughs> that the word agape was unattainable for that Greek culture. All of a sudden, you have these New Testament letters who is saying, not only does God have agape love for us, but that we can have agape love for each other because of God's agape love for us. And Paul is most clear about it when he says, that is why marriage is such a huge example. Because in marriage, ideally, You're not supposed to have any fear. It's a lifelong commitment. It's safe. It's mutually reassuring. There's advantages, mutual advantage. And so God is using 
that, that, that agape love that he has instituted in marriage as a way in which he relates to us. God loves us unconditionally. And the reason I bring this up is over the next seven weeks, I would like us to explore as Neighborhood Bible Church what it means to be a church. Foundation number one, the very first letter, the very first church on the list of letters sent in the book of Revelation is Ephesus. And it's going to talk about love, real love. When I was first following Jesus, I had come out of life of smoking pot, drinking beer, chasing girls. And I had done it publicly. And I, you know, I wasn't ashamed of it before I had ever experienced the love of God. I had an encounter and an experience with the love of God. And all of a sudden, I wanted to join a church so that I could be a part of a church. Church had always been boring for me. I, I, I remember, you know, if my mom said we were getting up for church. I was like, oh, good, no, please, you know. I mean, it was just anything I could do. I, I mean, I had probably a thousand excuses as to why I would never want to come into a church. It was boring with a capital B, and I'm not talking about, about town and Oregon. You know, it, it, it is, I mean, it was just boring. And then I have an encounter with the power and the love of God, Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, God was anything but boring. And I said, God, I, didn't, I want to find a church. I want to find a church with likewise people who have had this experience so that we can all get silly together. <laughs> and so I did. I found one. There's only one problem. I had publicly, uh, you know, cast myself in a much different light than as someone trying to follow God. So initially, as I tried to get into the youth group and as I tried to get into the church, it was met with a lot of rejection. I think, I think the thought was, he's just here to get a girl. Try, try to get one of the girls in our youth groups. Not going to say there wasn't some motivation there, but that wasn't the primary reason why I wanted to go to church. <laughs> Tell the truth, shame the devil. And so I, you know, I was struggling. I'd go home from church. I mean, I'd be like, man, God, I finally want to go. And I feel like they don't want me there. And, and I just felt like God would say, keep pressing through. Keep going. In fact, at one time I felt like God said, you know what? You go in spite of them. Don't even look at them. Don't even think about them. You go, I'd go. And I, you know, the, 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 the pastor of that church had, had prayed with me to receive the Holy Spirit into my heart. And so and I, I kind of told him about this. He said, you know what? You come and you sit next to me. I'll accept you. So I did. I didn't even know how to dress, you know. Uh, and, and, and so I, I, I come into church, and I'd sit with him, and man, he, there were two services. I'd have to stay both services because I'd be afraid that he was going to say something in the next service he didn't say in the first, and I wanted to get the whole thing, you know. <laughs> Anybody from the 9 o'clock hear this service? Probably not, huh? <laughs> oh, Paul, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kristen. It's, uh, we have a little language, you know, anyway. And so, you know, I, 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 meeting that, the church I went to, I tell you, man, they'd give you the shirt off your back. 
Hey, build you a new house and fix your car. But when I first came to the Lord, I, I, I couldn't break in. I couldn't break in. Almost so busy being a good church that they forgot that what makes a great church is not just being busy doing stuff. Taking time to look another human being directly in the eye and say, you're valuable to me. You have worth to me. You're a child of God and that is what gives you dignity. And I'm willing to take some time out of my life. And then, about three or four months later, I needed some prayer over something. And so I said, I need to go get some prayer. And I thought, no one will pray for me at this church. (laughs) And the pastor's preaching. So I just kind of sat in the back and one of the ushers was there, an older lady. And I said, you know, if there's one thing I know about older ladies, sometimes they can be the nicest people in the world. So I went up and I said, you know, I need some prayer. Would you pray for me? And you know what she said? She looked at me and she said, all our prayer counselors are busy right now. (laughs) But if you could wait here a moment, and I'll be like, I don't want a prayer counselor. I want you. I had the guts to come to you. I didn't say that. I sat where she told me to sit, and I <laughs> waited for somebody. But by the time somebody came, it was like, yeah, I just need some prayer for her. <laughs> the moment was gone, you know what I'm saying? Over the next seven, seven weeks, I want to rethink church. Because I'll tell you, if there's anything I feel like the Lord's saying, how we've always done it isn't going to cut it for this century. We need to reach out with the love of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit like never before. Not be ashamed of it and not back down from it. Because it's nothing to be afraid of or ashamed of. Why? Because it's based on love. A love so pure, holy, and powerful that's changing lives each and every day. Like I said, it took a, it punched a hole into a size of my heart that, that I still haven't recovered from. Right? <laughs> Obviously. I want to ask, why do we have church? Is the church relevant today? Will the Christian church be something that fades into American history? Or is it going to have a comeback? But not the kind of comeback where we just pack churches. The kind of comeback where you begin seeing people, you see it in their eyes. They were bored like me. And then they found a God who loved them, and a church that loved them. And all of a sudden, their whole life, their whole, all of their dreams about God that they'd given up on are all of a sudden revived. Doesn't that sound good? I I, I mean, like, anybody who says I absolutely can't stand God, don't listen to them. Deep in there, they have their dreams of what they hope God is. And you know what the beauty is? God actually is those dreams. But after disappointment, after disappointment, after disappointment, after disappointment, you just begin to throw throw the whole bag out. Say, you know what? I'll try to find it somewhere else. But I think, in my opinion, God's the greatest thing going on earth right now. And I say, let's not be afraid to talk about it. Amen? Amen. 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 <clears throat> my vision for NBC is to accept any and all who feel rejected or unaccepted or bored. You know, in the beginning... Church was so exciting, people risked their lives to be there. You know that? 
in the book, when this book was being written, Revelation, you know who was emperor? Domitian. It's in the video. You should all know that. Are you paying attention? Come on now here. Domitian. You know what Domitian did? I won't tell you what he did. It's horrible. But he just killed, killed every Christian he could find. And, and, and so for you, and yet the church grew like there was no tomorrow in that 22 years of his, I think it was 22 years. Somebody Google that if I'm wrong. Then wait till after the sermon to tell me. Don't, don't shout it out. So let the word get out. We're rethinking church here. Everything is on the table. We're rethinking church, and I'm inviting you to be a part of it with me, with us. That this isn't just Tom's church. It's not my church, by the way. You know whose church it is? It's Jesus's. Come for him. And uh, we're going to do this a little different. We're going to... Those who have given up on church are in the forefront of my personal vision as a pastor. Those who have given up. Those who absolutely have made a choice. I do not want it. This is not for me. Please get out of my face. I respect that. But for those who've given up because they've been disappointed, I'm hungry for those. I'm hungry to look them in the eye and say, you have dignity and worth. And though you've given up on it, would you give our little church a second chance? I think you'll find some pretty cool people there. Amen? Amen. Amen. Go with me to Revelation chapter 2. Jesus is essentially going to say the same thing to the Ephesian church. In the very first verse, he says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. John takes a sentence basically to say it's Jesus. All right. <laughs> uh, Jesus holds the seven stars, and he holds the seven lampstands. The seven stars are, are the, uh, the leaders, and the lampstands are the churches themselves. And so, point number one in verse number one, Jesus comes to church. Jesus comes to church. Uh, you know, pastors may come and go. I'm, you know, I have no plans to go, but I'm saying over the course of the life, you know, <laughs> pastors come and go. Jesus does not. And I want to take a moment to say something because I haven't said it yet, but uh, I want to make it clear, you know, as your pastor, I am committed here. I'm falling in love with this town, falling in love with this community, and I do need to tell you something. I will make mistakes. I'm not perfect. I'm not. We're all a bag of goods, aren't we? Yeah, we all, we're all, you know, who couldn't use five years of therapy? You know what I'm saying? I mean, really. When you think about it, who, who couldn't, you know, benefit from that, you know? And Mark, you should be first in line. So, you know, it takes a crazy kooky guy to go on TV every day. So, you know, I mean, we're all, you know, and, and I, I will make mistakes. Uh, there will be things, we'll look back and go, man, maybe we shouldn't have done that, you know? But you know what? I, we're human. And I, and I give you permission to be you. You give me permission to be me, and together we'll have God's grace to cover it all. Amen? Amen. Amen. Where are we? Let's back to the sermon here. <laughs> the rabbits are winning today. <laughs> Verse 2. Jesus says, I know your deeds. I know your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. I know that you've tested those who claim to be apostles, and they aren't. And have found them false. 
verse 3, you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and you have not grown weary. You get the picture of a church that's just working hard and they'll, they'll, they'll crank out church work for a century. You know, they've got it. Like it's an organized church machine. If you had the verse four, he says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. While it's true that married love deepens and grows, it should never lose the excitement or the wonder of those honeymoon days. That's what makes the honeymoons so exciting. Is there's a special moment you know you have there. Just think of it. It's possible to serve Jesus, to sacrifice for Jesus, and in this church's case, to literally suffer for Jesus, and yet to lose your love for him. Amazing, isn't it? And remember, they had not lost their love. It's not like somebody had taken it or they had misplaced it. Where is my love for Jesus? I just can't find it today. That would be me, by the way. <laughs> it, it, it has nothing to do with that. What is the word? Tell somebody, tell me. Throw it out at me. What is the word used there? They want their first love. Forsaked it. There's, another, there's, there's other words. Abandoned is the literal translation. They abandoned it. It was there. And yet, at some point, their lives got so busy, they didn't have time for it anymore. So they had to abandon it. Because in order to keep all those plates spinning, they had to just keep all those plates. I know the love is over here, but we got to keep all the... Oh, it's over here, it's over here. We got to keep all those... You know what Jesus says? Stop. Get back over here. Because everything you do... It's not going to be worth it for you if the price you have to pay is abandonment of the love of God. Verse 5, he says, Consider how far you have fallen. <laughs> how the mighty have fallen. Uh, you know, I mean, he's, now this isn't fallen into some deep sin. What John is saying is, you've fallen from deep love. You used to have this deep, loving relationship with me. And now, we're miles apart. And God is kind of saying, he's not saying it directly, but he's kind of saying it. He's saying, I'm not the one who backed away. I'm not the one who backed away. He's not quite saying, you're the one who backed away either. He's trying to make it nice. He's saying, come back. <laughs> but the beauty, I think, of this passage is is to the public, to the public, on paper, the Ephesian church was successful. But to Jesus, no matter how great all of their stuff was, there's one thing he wanted more than their hands. He wanted their heart. And then he says, repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent... I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Skip over that. No, let's not. I feel like it just got... To, I, I keep wanting to skip over it because it's kind of... A, it seems harsh. But do you get it? Jesus is saying, 
We'll close the churches. Close the churches. If we decay into a cold, loveless, obligatory, duty-ridden church, Jesus says, I'll remove the lampstand, that light and that energy of God that keeps it going. Take it. Why? Because when you decay to that level as a church, you're no longer accurately representing the true, vibrant, exciting love of God anymore. So almost strategically, as Jesus is trying to spread the message around the world, he's examining the churches through which those are spread. And then finally in verse 6, we get a good thing. It says, but you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. You can read books, commentaries, read things on the book of Revelation. They're all going to give you their opinion of, of who the Nicolaitans were. I'll give it to you straight. We don't know. They really have been lost to history. Uh, we have a lot of good guesses. And, and I could give you a good guess. I'll give you a good guess. All right, here's my good guess. Nicholas in the Greek is the same word for Balaam in the Hebrew. Balaam in the Hebrew was that old uh, Canaanite prophet who went to the Israelite men and said, abandon your wives to their tents, come with me, and I have a whole village of Moabite women who would like to have with you. And he, it worked. He gets all these Israelite men and they come over and they participate, which is probably in a Moabite, Canaanite, you know, sexual feast or whatever, and, and gets them to do that at the behest of, of the Moabite kings who's trying to divide and, and bring into the Israelite culture weakness. Because at this point, the Israelite army was big, tough, strong. They thought they were going to conquer Moab. So Moab thought... If we could get them to be unfaithful to their wives, there'll be all this internal dissension and division and strife, and then we can come and defend ourselves. Nicholas is the Greek derivative of that same name. And so I would say the best guess is that the, this is a group of people who essentially said this. Christ has freed us from the law, right? You know that law that says sex can only be in marriage, can't eat pork, no cheese on that cheesesteak. You have to wash your hands before you come into church. By the way, you all did wash your hands before you came into church. Right? Uh, women must be separated from the men in church, in the temple. You know, you, you had all of these, these, and they're saying, well, Christ, Christ died to free us from all that, all that Jewish do's and don'ts stuff. So, uh, they, they, they took that to, me, to, to have sexual freedom as well. Well, that's, it's all under the blood of Jesus. And so these Nicolaitans, which probably wasn't a sect, but just a group of people who commonly believed that one's sexual practices could be unrestrained in any context, in any way, fashion, or form. And the Ephesian church is simply saying, no, I don't think that that's God's intention for it. In fact, look what it did to the ancient Israelites. Uh, look what it could do to us. It's probably not the best thing for society. We're actually going to say, no, we don't think this is God. And they upheld that. The Ephesian church did. 
Not all the churches in the New Testament or the first century were able to uphold it to the same way that Ephesus did, but they did. And then we come to verse 7. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. I wrote something here. I just want to read it. The tree of life represents the key to everything in the Christian Bible because it answers the most important question. What is the meaning of life? The tree of life was taken from human beings, that ability to live forever, mercifully, mercifully, when Adam and Eve gained the knowledge of evil in addition to the knowledge of good. They learned what we have learned through thousands of years of brutal and broken human history. The knowledge of evil is not so pleasing after all. For it produces fear, hatred, exploitation, suffering, division, loneliness. But through Christ, we will be changed into something different than we currently are. All of the effect of that fear, hatred, exploitation, and that inner brokenness that we feel. That side of us that, that's selfish and, and, that, and that, you know, we, we realize, man, something's got to be fixed. I, th- there are some things I would want to die with me. I, I, you know, you all have some things like, you know, to your dying breath, you're like, man, I hope I don't have that after I die. You know, that, that little, you know, anger streak or that temper or whatever. You know, I just, God, I can do without that. This is essentially what Jesus is saying. If you were to ask me, Tom, what if Jesus offered you the tree of life right now? I'd say absolutely not. I do not want to stay this way. I do not want to stay in this body for sure. I do not want to stay with this mind and the, all the other stuff that I have to go through. No way. I'll, I'll let this thing die. If it's got to wait out 40 years, it can wait out 40 years. But this is not how I want to live forever. After I die... They say, God, will you change me? I don't really want to be changed. I want to be, I want to be like you. And then he offers me that tree. He says, you want to eat from this? You'll live forever. I'll be on that tree like white on rice. <laughs> After. But I'm not fixed yet. So I'm willing to let God fix. And that is the, the beauty of how he closes. A reminder of our purpose as a church. We're all back goods. But not only does God have a plan to fix us, His plan to fix us is not through duty and obligation, but through love. So, what can we walk away from this? How do we come back to our first love? Well, there's a lot of ways. I'm sure you're, you're intelligent, you can figure it out. The three ways that John promotes is to remember, repent, and repeat. Remember, repent, repeat. Remember, repent, repeat. Say it five times fast. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're dutiful. <laughs> no. Remember. Sometimes you just got to remember. Remember the love of God. Yeah, that there's somebody who's been disappointed with church. And they're like, Tom, why should I give your church a second chance? I say, because you know what? I hope when you come, you just remember. You just remember. God's not against you. And, and, and people can be idiots. So, you know, let's just, just remember. Number two, repent. That's not necessarily repent of sin. It's repent of direction. 
you're going in this direction, and now you're going to do a course change and go that direction. That's really the, the raw definition of repentance. It's a turnaround. Come back. Turn around. Come back. Come back to me, Jesus says. And then lastly, repeat. Man, there's things you used to do. Maybe a routine you had where you'd sing some praise songs in your car. You'd just take some time to pray. Or maybe there's some people you'd go help and go visit. Things that you did and, and the pleasure in your heart to do it was the pleasure in my heart to give it. Come back and repeat those things and have a fresh encounter with the love of God. So foundation one, I think is very clear for Neighborhood Bible Church. Foundation one is agape love. Loving God and loving people. It's just that simple. It's a reciprocal love. He pours his love on us We pour it back to him and that love spills over to all the people God brings along our path. That's the beauty of it. It's not a love you conjure up, but a love that overflows by what's been freely given from God. Bow your heads with me. Worship team, come on forward. Take the lights down for me. How you come back to your first love individually, that's up to you. How we come back to our first love corporately, that's up to us. church. Let's join together. We're all a bag of goods. And yet we're all being poured on by the love of God. Amen. And he is jealous for me. Love's like a hurricane. I am a tree.
like a hurricane, I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory, and I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me and know and how he loves us so and know how he loves us how he loves us so how he loves us Oh 
Let's give Aurora for God right now. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, yes, yes. 